What's going on, y'all? Welcome to episode 24 of the Half Price Concessions podcast. Normally on this podcast, we're featuring interviews with drivers or crew members or talking about modern day racing in some form or fashion. But on this episode, we're firing up the old half price time machine and going back in time. Back to a time when the top level of NASCAR wasn't referred to by a sponsor name or the Cup Series. It was called the Grand National Series. Racing seasons in NASCAR's Grand National Series alone could have up to 62 races in a single season. Many of the stops on the schedule included fairgrounds and hometown tracks that are unfortunately lost by the wayside over the course of time. In this first episode of what we're calling our Tracks of Yesteryear series, Buddy Payne and myself, Tyler Williams, are going to go through 10 racetracks an episode formerly on the NASCAR Grand National schedule in the state of North Carolina. These are tracks that are completely gone by the wayside and as far as we know have no form of racing active at them anymore, the majority of which are completely lost to father time. So buckle up, you're about to get a history lesson thanks to Buddy and me. Episode 24 of the Half Price Concessions Podcast, part one of our Tracks of Yesteryear series starts in just a few moments. All right, first up on our Tracks of Yesteryear series for the state of North Carolina, we go to the western part of the state up in Weaverville, North Carolina for Asheville Weaverville Speedway, buddy. This is, first off, just the name of the track. The fact that it was named after two different towns, and this is one I actually, I really had to make sure on because there are two Asheville Speedways. There's this Asheville Weaverville which was open from 51 to 69, but then there's also the what was called the new Asheville Speedway, which was the most recent one that got closed down. But this was a track that ran uh, from 51 to 69. And one of the things I found really interesting just off the bat with it was because the track was active for so long, 51 to 69 is a lot longer than some of these other tracks on this list. There's a dirt section of its history for the Grand National and a paved history. You would never find that on today's cup schedule. Yeah. Everything's been, you know, paved since. Purpose, purpose built and paved its whole lifespan. I mean, it's it's crazy though. Running, they ran the first race in '51. Fonty Flock won the first Grand National race. Can you take a guess at how much money he made for winning that first race? I'm going to say a whopping three thousand dollars. You're not far off. He won thirty-seven hundred bucks, besting a thirty-car field to win the very first race at the Asheville Weaverville Speedway. And I used to hear people talk about it and stuff, but I'll tell you a little piece of its history that caught me. So in 1961, it was August 13th, 1961, they were running uh, the Grand National Series up at uh, Asheville Weaverville Speedway, and it was the Western Carolina 500. Supposed to be 500 miles. Well, this race didn't quite make it advertised distance. They actually had to cut the race short. This was in the, they had just paved the racetrack a few years before and the track started coming apart. Mm. So at lap 258, they had to call the race short. Junior Johnson won the race in a 1960 Pontiac, winning $2,000. But because the fans didn't get their full money's worth, they didn't get their 500 miles, the article from the uh, 
newspaper says that of the 10,000 fans, 4,000 surrounded the flag stand and started throwing rocks <laughs> at the flag because they didn't get their advertised distance. I mean, that's... That's crazy. Well, I figured the driver would be a little ticked off, too, since he didn't get all the winner's purse either, because I'm sure with him only winning two grand, I'm sure the advertised winner's purse is quite higher than that. I mean, it's crazy. And Junior Johnson, who you know just recently passed away, pretty cool to see a track that he run on. But in that race, let me just go down some of these names that popped up. Junior Johnson winning it. Joe Weatherly driving for Bud Moore in a Pontiac, runs second. Rex White, Ned Jarrett. Uh, Jack Smith, uh, just an, an, an incredible. Buddy Baker is in this race. He ends up running uh, 16th. Wendell Scott uh, is in this race, runs 24th. Fireball Roberts in a, a 61 Pontiac, broken axle, ran 31st. Uh, you know, it's just crazy. And it, one of the other things that also gets me on some of these ones, Bud, and we'll see this on multiple tracks as we continue to go down this list, the car fluctuation. Mm-hmm. Like that first race in 51, there's 30 cars. Then there's some on here where there's only 18. Then in 59, there's a race where there's 41. In 61, there was a, a Grand National race there where it was 15. And that's just crazy to me because I think we're so used to, in the time that we grew up with, especially in the early 90s, 43 cars every single race, where in this period of Grand National racing that we go through on this list, there was a lot of car fluctuation. Not not a lot of people made every race. And uh, another thing, like a common thread that we'll hit on, you know, through these tracks is a the drivers. You see kind of the same names popping up, um, and a lot of these are Hall of Famers now. Uh, but also with the car fluctuation is the division changes because you go from a sportsman division, you, you have your Grand National, you have your Convertible Series. There's a lot of divisions that they're trying. You, you can definitely tell that they're trying to see what works during this time span, you know, from like 55 to say 65 until they finally hone in and get, you know, just the one solid division and then one support division. Here's one little thing I'll close on Asheville Weaverville, just looking at it from the outside in. The last five drivers to win a race at this track Richard Petty in 67 in a, in, a, in a Plymouth. Bobby Allison in a Ford in 67. David Pearson won two races there in 1968, both in a Ford. And Bobby Isaac winning two races in 1969 in a Dodge. So Richard Petty, Bobby Allison, David Pearson, and Bobby Isaac. Um, Ned Jarrett won two races there before Richard Petty went back-to-back. Uh, Ned Jarrett won there in 64 and 65, and, I mean, it's just incredible. Plus, there's NASCAR convertible series races that were ran there. Curtis Turner won one. Bob Wellborn won three of them. So not only do you have the Strictly Stock or the Grand National, but you also had the convertibles running there as well. But it's just another thing that I know we'll hit on as this list goes on. If you and I had been alive back then and had the means – I mean, now when we was when we was kids, we could have gone to North Wilkesboro, Martinsville, Charlotte, Rockingham, in Rockingham. If we'd have been alive back in this time, I mean, we could have hit probably fifteen Grand National races. <laughs> well, they're also running, you know, a lot more than the forty or thirty six, excuse me, races that they do this year. You know, they're running, you know, seventy, eighty, almost like a dirt schedule, pretty much. You know, they're uh, running so many races a year, and uh, like you said, doing this research, it seemed like every county had its own racetrack at some point in time. So you can go in your backyard pretty much and watch a race. 
So that's a look at Asheville Weaverville, uh, active on the Grand National Series from 1951 to 1969, hosted a grand total of 34 races. So we move on to Champion Speedway, which is located, which was located in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Uh, this track was short-lived, uh, four races only, uh, ran three in one year, 1958, ran one race in 1959. Um, these were 150 lap races. Um, so kind of equivalent, I guess, to like a Bush Series race today, you know, probably about half of what we're used to seeing. Uh, your winners, uh, you had Rex White, Curtis Turner, and uh, Bob Wilburn winning two of the four. Um, your car count was pretty average. Uh, the lowest was uh, 22 and the highest was 29. So kind of in that you know, mid-20s uh, range there. Uh, your winner's purse kind of fluctuated, but you know, within $1,000 or so of each other. Uh, the highest paying $4,020 in uh, 1958. Um, they ran four convertible series races there. Uh, one in 56, two in 57, and one in 1958. Uh, kind of some notable winners there. You had uh, Mr. Uh, Wood himself, Glenn Wood, yes. uh, getting one of those wins. And I don't know this guy, never heard of him, but I'm automatically a fan, Possum Jones. Yep, 1957 Possum in the Chevrolet. Jones. Uh, it was a third mile track. It was a uh, concrete um concrete it was a concrete uh Ooh. track yes <laughs> and kind of the track was unfortunately that was the only nascar you know grand national races that they had with those four uh they did run like some of the sportsman stuff your uh uh i guess what would be considered the weekly racing series uh track was demolished in 1986 uh kind of interesting note about this one the track date moved to daytona so mm. I'm assuming that this was the beginning. It kind of kicked off the uh, the racing season for them. Uh, but in 1960, uh, that track date, which would have been here, has now moved on to Daytona. Well, I'm about to say, I'm just looking on racing reference at the dates of those uh, four races they had. Uh, the first and the last ones were in November's. And the the two races in 1958, the first one was in March and the other one was in April. So that would be kind of book-ending sort yeah. of racing season. But I'm like you, that convertible series race in 1957, yes. Possum Jones. Possum and Jones. then Racing Reference has won 1959, the last convertible series race they ran there, Joe Lee Johnson. By God, that's American <laughs> right there. Joe Lee Johnson and a Chevrolet. And I tell you, of the four, you, you're, I know you're proud of this, of the four Grand National races, three won by bow ties. There you go. Where the pole was, the fastest pole was 62 and a half miles an hour. And I tell you what, for a third mile track, and you got to think, you know, the tires and, and no technology pretty much back then compared to what we see today. That's not, that's pretty impressive. That's not too shabby. I think it's another thing also worth noting as we go down these tracks because so many of them were so small. We're so I think we're so spoiled by speed. Where I mean, back then I'm look I'm laughing at 62 miles an hour, but I mean back then for the technology, I mean that was moving. Well, I mean, nowadays we're used to you know dirt late models and stuff going 110 into the corner, but I mean back then that was moving it and that was pushing equipment. Well, just for comparison's sake, you know uh, Bowman Gray's a quarter mile track, very flat, obviously no banking and whatnot, and they're average lap times there with these modifieds are around 62 to 65 miles an hour. So I'm sure the straightaway speed and corner speed is a whole lot different, but just for a comparison in size of the track.
Yeah. Never would have known there was Grand National Racing in Fayetteville. Yeah. I thought that all they ran there was drag strip and dirt cars. Yeah, and some dirt bikes, <laughs> yep. So, again, another example of why we should have been born earlier. <laughs> we could have gone to Grand National Racing everywhere, but that is Champion Raceway. Next up on our list is a track that has a familiar name, but you have to make sure you differentiate the history. Charlotte Speedway, and I'm not talking Charlotte Motor Speedway. This is Charlotte Speedway. It's a three-quarter mile dirt track. Ran Grand National races from 49 to 56. And I am this makes me hate the interstate system. I know Eisenhower had good intentions with it and it helps us get places. <laughs> but the interstate reason is interstate is the reason the track ain't open no more. It got demolished because they had to make room for I-85 mm. coming through. So it actually, what they said, it actually cut the parking lot off. And if you ain't got nowhere to park spectators, you can't have races. Which but. ironically enough, I-85 is usually a parking lot when you go into Charlotte. <laughs> exactly. But uh, running from 49 to 56, so they got to run 12 Grand National races. Uh, highest purse was the first race. It was a $5,000 purse. And I actually found this out. So that first race, they bumped the purse up. In 1949, that was when NASCAR was first formed, but NASCAR wasn't the only game in town. There was another sanctioning body. I forget the name. I think it was called like NCSE. And it was being backed by Bruton Smith. Mm, Mr. Charlotte. Yep, Mr. Charlotte Motor Speedway. And they were, you know, I think they were, they were trying to pay more money to try to keep drivers to run the NASCAR race as opposed to this uh, uh, competitor race. So it paid 5000 to win. And what I found most interesting was the guy that won the race, Jim Roper, bested a 33-car field and a 49 Lincoln uh, to win that $5,000. He was three laps down of the guy who crossed the finish line first. He was three laps down to a guy named Glenn Dunaway who completed all 200 laps. The only, you know, imagine that, the only car in the lead lap won the race but they disqualified him because back then NASCAR was strictly stock. And what they had done was they spread the rear springs on Glenn Dunaway's car to help with the traction. That was considered modifying a race car. So they had to take the win away from him and give it to Jim Roper, who finished three laps down to win $5,000. And we never saw any cheating ever again in NASCAR. Correct? No, that was that was the end of cheating. That was the end. <laughs> they served their purpose. But, I mean, some of the winners, Tim Flock, Curtis Turner, Herb Thomas, uh, Buck Baker, Fonty Flock. Here's a great racing name. In 1956, uh, Speedy Thompson mm -hmm. won in a 56 Chrysler. Buck Baker won the last race there in 1956 before... Uh, the dreaded interstate came through and messed it up. Curtis Turner won two convertible series races there. Glenn Wood was the winner there as well. Fastest pole at the track on a three-quarter mile dirt track was 76 miles an hour. Three-quarter mile dirt track, that's pretty big. About the biggest one I've ever seen or been to has been five-eighths, so not quite there. But um, did it stay dirt the entire time? Yes, it was okay. It was dirt the whole way through, you know, through 56 until it... Uh, got shut down. Here's here's another thing that starts poking out on the list, bud. Another thing just from the time we were born in, in the 80s, all NASCAR races are 500, 400 miles. Most of these races I'm looking at for these tracks we're seeing 
100, 150 miles yeah. was usually about as long as you could go. These cars, I don't think, could last much longer. Exactly, especially being on the dirt as well. I'm sure they didn't have the technology as far as keeping you know the radiators clean and you know the breathers and all that kind of stuff. So, hence why. You know, your leader there, you said, was three laps ahead of the field. I'm sure it was quite an attrition rate with 30-some cars being there as well. How about the list of making models of the winning cars? Lincoln, Oldsmobile, Nash, whatever in God's name that was. <laughs> Two back-to-back -back wins for Hudson's, Oldsmobile's, Buick, and Chrysler's won the last three races there. So our buddy Zach Albright ought to be happy for that one. <laughs> Some Mopar representation for winners at Charlotte Speedway, but that got me. I didn't. I didn't know there was a track in Charlotte before Charlotte Motor Speedway. I thought it was just the end all be all. Really, this the was, only one I knew was uh, you had your Concord and like Metrolina, which is I guess you know close enough technically. But no, I did not know that there was an actual Charlotte Speedway outside of Charlotte Motor Speedway. So hey, now you now you know Charlotte Speedway, hoster of twelve Grand National races from forty nine to fifty six. All right, so now we move on to Cleveland County Fairgrounds, located in Shelby, North Carolina. Uh, this track saw six uh, NASCAR races, two in 1956, two in 57, and then kind of odd, take a break, and they come back in 1965 uh, for two years. Um, this was a half-mile track, uh, 200-lap races. Uh, some notable winners you had uh, Speedy Thompson, which we've mentioned before, Fireball Roberts, uh, two by Buck Baker and two by Ned Jarrett. Um, car counts kind of low in comparison to some of these other ones that we looked at. Uh, the lowest car count was only 14 cars. Uh, our highest was at 26. Um, our purses, our highest was uh, 45.85, so 4,585. The lowest was 3,940, so pretty close on the pay uh, there. Only one convertible race here, and that was in 1956, won by Curtis Turner. And one thing that I've noticed uh, doing this research, and um, I'm sure it's kind of sprung up to you as well, is that the convertible series was kind of like the step below. I guess it would be considered like a Bush series or Xfinity uh, series today. But they did not run on the same weekend as the Grand National series. Like these races were standalone races. And you see a lot of the same names in both. So I guess it just gave them, these guys, another opportunity to run, you know, a couple more races, make some more money kind of thing. Well, you and I were joking earlier before we hit the record button of how dangerous it had to be oh, my goodness, racing yes. a convertible. I mean, some of these tracks, they're not, we don't think they're going but so fast, but I mean, you're going fast enough to get hurt now and they're running convertibles. And, I mean, Curtis Turner, like you said, won the only convertible race uh, at Cleveland County Fairgrounds. Uh, but yeah, I'd have been I'd have been scared to been out there in something that didn't have a daggum roof on it. Well, with those those thin tires, and I'm sure the track prep in 1950s weren't wasn't quite what the dirt tracks have today. Uh, I'm sure you catch a rut, then them convertibles are going over even without you know having to run 100 miles an hour or so, like we see. Uh, I was a little disappointed in this fact. I actually did text you about it, but this is not the same as the Cleveland County dirt track. Ah, uh, the Cleveland County dirt track. That was track, easy to mix up. It, it was very easy to mix up. Um, I was I was really hoping it would be the same, but uh, now the Cleveland County dirt track is actually in Lawndale, not too far from Shelby. Um, so obviously in the same county, hence the name. Uh, but that track was Thunder Valley. It was a half-mile dirt track. Um, went dormant for a little bit. Came back as Cleveland County for a few years, but is uh, since shut down as well. Uh, you can't beat 
Speedy Thompson and Fireball Roberts on your list of winners. Speedy and Fireball, that's a heck of a combo right there. What a, what, what a pair of great racing names. Moms just don't name their kids Speedy <laughs> and Fireball no more. Those have gone by the wayside. That's right. All right, so now, bud, I'm actually going to bend the rules a little bit. Mm -hmm. I know we said North Carolina only, but this track catches my eye for a special reason. This is Coastal Speedway in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Now, there is a difference between this one and the track that would eventually become what Myrtle Beach Speedway is today that hosted bush races and truck races, uh, two very distinct histories. And though this track only ran two grand national races 1956 and 1957 uh they ran two they ran one race each year so two races total uh the last race only had 15 cars in it so low car counts struggling you wouldn't think that would be a problem because the track was at myrtle beach so you would have thought these guys would have been able to be like hey i can go race i can take my wife with yeah. me we can turn a little vacation apparently it just didn't work out that way but Fireball Roberts won the race in 1956, had 20 cars in it, but the 1957 race, this one has a very special connection with uh, you and me. You and I are both Alamance County born. The man that won that race was a gentleman by the name of Gwen Staley. Gwen Staley, driving a 57 Chevrolet, driving for Lee Petty's brother, Julian Petty. I didn't know Lee Petty had a brother. <laughs> Gwen Staley was driving for him when he won the race in... in um, at Coastal Speedway in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Gwen Staley, upon further inspection, they list Burlington, North Carolina as a hometown for him. Now, I actually, I tried to look up some more information in his obituary in the Burlington Times News. They had him listed as a native of North Wilkesboro who had lived near Burlington for the previous three years. He actually ended up getting killed the next year in 1958 at Richmond, uh, I think it was a practice crash or it might have been an in the race crash. But for a guy associated with Burlington, Gwen Staley, 1957 was his best year. He won three races that year and one of them coming at the half mile dirt track in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina called mm -hmm. Coastal Speedway. I didn't know we had anybody from Burlington that ran Grand National at all. No, no, that, that's news to me as well. That's pretty cool. Tell you what, though, he didn't get a whole lot for winning this race thousand dollars wow and only uh only 10 of the 15 cars finished the race in 1957 so again only 15 cars running and only 10 making it like you said on a previous track when we were talking about the uh the surfaces of these tracks mm -hmm. you know track prep nowadays i think we're a little bit spoiled back then i mean they probably didn't they probably thought they were going out in a cornfield for what they were going to race on. I mean, just had to be some rough tracks. Pretty much. And you, any of the old videos you watch from the, the old sedans on the dirt tracks and stuff, they're just plowing through the corners. You know, they don't have enough power really to power slide or anything like that. So I'm sure you, you definitely had to be a man to drive those cars, but I'm sure it was tough on equipment as well. Some familiar names on this list. Fire Robert, Fireball Roberts ran third in that race. Buck Baker was fourth. Lee Petty. Driving a 57 Oldsmobile, ran 6th. And my man Speedy Thompson, <laughs> running 12th in a 57 Chevrolet, he did not make the finish because his fuel line. Mm. And only one lead change over a 200-lap race. Fireball Roberts led the first 185 laps. Gwen Staley led uh, the final 15. But I just I thought that was kind of cool. I, did, I just did not know we had much Alamance County connection to the 
the Grand National Series. He's close enough, so we'll claim him. Yep, we'll take it. This episode of the Half Price Concessions podcast is brought to you with support from Performance Center Racing Warehouse. In addition to being the home of the PRW chassis, Performance Center offers in-house setups and consulting, plus suspension and chassis pull-down analysis, along with their fabrication shop that can reclip your race car with the fastest turnaround in the industry. Give Roger Johnson and the Performance Center team the chance to earn your racing business by calling them today at 704-838-1400 or visit them online at performancecenter.com. That's P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. All right, so that will bring us to Concord Speedway in Concord, North Carolina. Uh, these, this track held uh, 12 races um, spanning from 1956 through 1964. Um, a few years they ran twice there, and then a couple years just uh, a single standalone race. Uh, this was a half-mile track, uh, 200 lap races. Um, our car counts, kind of some variance in this one. Our highest was uh, 34, and uh, lowest at, uh, was 19. Our purse, quite the uh, stretch there. Um, our highest was uh, $6,540. Our lowest, only $2,165. You mean all the races didn't pay the same exactly. thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's who, whoever was called up on their membership fees that year. Uh, some notable uh, winners there. Uh, your man, Speedy Thompson. I got a feeling after this, you're going to get a Speedy Thompson t-shirt or yep. or something. I sure hope so. <laughs> a uh, couple other names. Uh, Marvin Panch. Uh, yeah. Three wins by Jack Smith. Uh, Fireball Roberts, as we've mentioned before. Uh, Lee Petty. Curtis Turner. Um, we had uh, two by Joe Weatherly. Oh, that's a name there, Joe and, Weatherly. And pretty neat here, Ned Jarrett and Richard Petty. So one of the handful of tracks where Lee Petty and Richard Petty both get a win. Uh, again, this is another odd one. They only ran the one convertible race there, and that was in 1957 with uh, Curtis Turner once again getting a win. That's a name we see keep uh, popping up. Um, after the uh, this track was shut down, they built another Concord Speedway two miles away from this track. Named it obviously Concord Speedway. Uh, it did not. That track did not hold any uh, NASCAR races. Uh, when that track folded, they went 20 miles away, and they built a four tenths of a mile dirt track, which is what we know today as Concord Speedway. I was going to ask about yeah. that because it just in that area. I mean, you also had Metrolina and the right, Charlotte Speedway, right. but. It was. I found it a little confusing, just like trying to pinpoint which one actually turned into what we know as Concord we know. Speedway. And and so we've had three Concord Speedways, and the last one that we know now as the Weekly Racing Pave Track, which unfortunately is no more. Uh, but the most recent one that started out as a four tenths of a mile dirt track, and you, if anyone knows that track, it is a very unique track, half mile trioval. The tricky triangle if you will of north carolina um so pretty neat that the transition period that you see and all within about a 25 mile radius of each other so that is concord speedway from 56 to 64 the last winner the king himself and i think i think this is the year richard petty wins in 64 i think this is the year before he takes the year off from nascar i think i believe so because the next year they outlaw the hemi so they go drag racing for right. petty enterprise right. so that's pretty crazy probably another one of those races where he just dusted the field and <laughs> nascar's like all right we got to get this hemi exactly. out of here 
Dagum Mopars and their Hemis. <laughs> so now we move on to a track that has, has got to be the most unique name I've ever seen. It is referred to as Dog Track Speedway in Moyock, North Carolina. Dog Track. I guess Moyock Motor Speedway didn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't name it after the town that it was in or the neighborhood that it was in or whose backyard it was in. Dog Track. Now, the reason it's called Dog Track, I, I did a little diving on this one. In the 1930s, well, just to give clarification, this track hosted Grand National Racing from 62 to 1966 it only hosted seven races in the 1930s moyock is in a part of north carolina it's about five minutes south of the north carolina virginia state line it's basically a straight line south from norfolk okay which is where uh you know the big uh navy docks mm -hmm. and navy base stuff like that and it's a little bit north of elizabeth city north carolina so geographically that's where it's at well in Norfolk, Virginia, they had a, it was called the Cavalier Kennel Club. And it was a group of people that would get together. They'd build a racetrack and they would race dogs like greyhounds and stuff. Well, in the 30s, the state of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia said, we don't want more. They outlawed dog racing. So these people from the Cavalier Kennel Club said, well, let's just go across the state line into North Carolina. They haven't banned it yet. So they built a the cavalier kennel club in moyock north carolina well in 1954 the state of north carolina supreme court says no we can't have dog racing in this state neither so they take out the inside wall because at, at dog tracks they have an inside wall so that i guess the dogs can't jump the fence right. so they take out the inside wall and they say well let's have grand national racing on a quarter mile dirt oval at first they would eventually pave it but but just the fact that they would I mean, we've seen facilities kind of get flipped around and used for different things. I can't imagine them taking Churchill Downs <laughs> in uh, Kentucky that hosts the Kentucky Derby uh, horse racing. I can't imagine them saying, you know what would be a good idea? Let's bring the world of outlaws in here. I mean, to me, that is just crazy. It is crazy. We've seen a lot of horse tracks become dirt tracks and go back to being horse tracks, but a dog track at a quarter mile that's uh that's that's definitely a stretch for sure looking at some of the winners uh of the races there they this track really struggled for car count uh, ned jarrett won the first race there in 1962 it was a 15 car field quarter mile dirt track uh was just struggling the race was only 63 miles paid 37 25 to win uh the pole was 45 and a half <laughs> miles an hour but ned jarrett got the first win jimmy pardue uh, in 1963, that race only had 14 cars. Ned Jarrett goes back-to-back uh, -back in 63 and 64. Dick Hutcherson wins. Ned Jarrett wins. And then David Pearson gets the last win in 1966 in a 64 Dodge. By this point, the track had been paved and had been stretched to a third of a mile as opposed to a quarter mile. The pole speed had increased to 69 miles an hour, but the track just said they said the reason it really closed was a struggle for attendance which is funny to me because they were close enough to Norfolk. The main reason, the main fan base they were trying to draw was all those sailors that were on base in Norfolk to try to get them to come across to watch. But it might have just been so far out in the middle of nowhere that just there was no sustainability. That's why it only got to run seven races there in the early to mid-60s. I'm sure location played a big role in that. 
as well as your fan base originated as dog race fans and the big thing behind dog racing is betting you know much like horse racing as well so you know betting on a two lap dog race versus a you know 150 lap you know nascar race is two different things and you're sitting through you got dogs don't sling up dust you know things like that so that location's probably had a lot to do with it and then of course trying to generate or, or excuse me trying to transform a fan base from they like dog racing for this reason to nascar or, or motorsports in general is just a whole different animal here's what no pun intended here's a funny one that got me so the last race there was was may of 1966 that david pearson won 301 laps wow that equaled 99.9 miles so 300 laps on a third mile track you know to get to 100 miles it was the uh, they said that i think i think they called it the tidewater 300 which is kind of in that area but just that one to me was just extremely unique that you had a track that was built to host dog racing that they said you know what the law has said we can't do what we want to do so we're going to go uh grand national race and not just there's no convertible races here it was only grand national okay. races and plus the name is just new, unique <laughs> where'd you win your race at ned no. i went down to dog track and got a check where y'all running this weekend bubba dog track <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound somewhere like humans are supposed to be all right so now we move on to forsyth county fairgrounds located in winston-salem uh, this is a short-lived track. Um, only had two races, both in 1955. Uh, Lee Petty wins both of the races. It was a, a half-mile dirt track. Uh, our races were 200 laps, uh, both. Uh, purse, really close to the same, 4,085 one year and 4,285 uh, the following year. And when we say purse, that's total purse. That's not winner. That's not winner. I think that yep. might be worth clarifying. Indeed. Um, the track was uh, raced on until 1963, uh, but again, the Grand National Series uh, only had the two there in 55. Um, kind of interesting note here with uh, it being a half mile track, 200 laps, and with the cars and lack of speed and whatnot, uh, both races under two hours. Wow. Kinda, yeah. Kind of cool. interesting uh, with the amount of cars there. Uh, car count was 23 one year, 22 the next. Um, the interesting fact I did uh, find out about this one, not a whole lot of information of, of, uh, about it out there, but one interesting fact is uh, where this track was located, um, they had the very first Dixie Classic Fair there. Well, you can't call that anymore. Uh, <laughs> back then, it was called the, the Dixie, Dixie Classic, Classic Fair. Fair. So I am simply <laughs> quoting history. Um, so the Dixie Classic Fair, uh, the county owns it. You know, It's a fairgrounds. Um, and they donate the money and the land for the Memorial Stadium mm. is right there in the same area. So uh, neat little factors, again, short-lived with the uh, amount of motorsports there, only uh, 55 to 63, but uh, two Grand National races and uh, the King's Daddy Lee takes them both home. Well, I mean, Lee Petty was really kind of, if there was a King-ish kind of figure before Richard. I mean, he was definitely one of those right there with, with probably Tim Flock and the boys because, I mean, I think, I think Lee won uh, Lee won 55 races and I think two championships. I mean, you know, obviously Richard's 200 wins and seven championships kind of blanketed him and he admitted that as well. But, I mean, for that time period, I mean, to have Lee Petty at your racetrack, much less to win, I mean, mm -hmm. that, that had to give it a lot of, uh, of uh, credibility, which – 
And also another thing that we're going to see a lot on this list, fairgrounds. Oh, yes. Back in the day. You know, nowadays, you go to the North Carolina State Fair, the only thing they're having at the at the fairgrounds is like a tractor pull, maybe a demo derby. derby yeah. It's weird to think of fairgrounds being big enough back then to host a grand national race. Yeah, to have a half mile. Uh, oh, yeah, figure eights, too. To have a half mile dirt track, I think, because I would assume the one there at North Carolina is maybe a third, maybe. I mean, maybe so, yeah. tops. Yeah. I don't think it's on this list at all. No. But the Forsyth County Fairgrounds made it. So next, another fairgrounds and one that only had one race on it. So, buddy, I get the one that has even less information <laughs> on it. The Gastonia Fairgrounds in Gastonia, North Carolina. Now, you and I, we think Gastonia. We think Carolina Speedway Friday night dirt racing. That's right. This was a third-mile dirt track in Gastonia at the fairgrounds, obviously. only It only got to host one race in 1958. Uh, the Grand National Series come in with 19 cars. Uh, only the top 14 actually made it to the finish, and only the top three were on the lead lap. Buck Baker ended up winning the race. Lee Petty was a uh, second-place effort. Our man Speedy Thompson <laughs> back with a fifth-place effort. But, you know, only one race, so not a whole lot of history. Buck Baker won $800 for running 200 laps on a Friday afternoon uh, you know, in Gastonia. So he didn't have to go far, but, you know, not a whole lot of money to win. And I think that that's another contributor to maybe some of these tracks, why they didn't get to host more races was for whatever reason, they just weren't coming up with the money to kind of keep these guys coming in because it's not like today where it's 36 races and you're a NASCAR driver on a full-time team. You make every race back in that time you had to really pick and choose where you went because you only had so much budget to go race on you couldn't just go run somewhere where they weren't paying a lot of money you weren't going you didn't have money to make it home and for nascar itself you know they're they're kind of an upstart sport trying to you know make a name for themselves so they're kind of, they're pretty much running wherever they can you know we don't have a title sponsor yet then so you, you don't have a lot of outside money helping you i'm, I'm sure you know you're Local businesses are trying to get, probably getting hit up, you know, trying to sponsor this, sponsor that, get a little extra money. So, here's here's something I found interesting though from 1958 as Brock the dog comes and joins us. Got to so, make his appearance. So, uh, this weekend for Gastonia, they ran Gastonia Friday night and then they went to Richmond to run Sunday and Speedy Thompson won that race. So, you can kind of see what they're doing there. They run on Friday, you travel Saturday, you race again on Sunday. Well, the previous weekend, get this. The previous weekend in Grand National Racing, NASCAR Grand National had two races on the same day in two different parts of the country. On September 7th, 1958, the weekend before Gastonia, the Grand National Series ran a race in Birmingham that had 18 cars. Fireball Roberts won that race in a Chevrolet. On the same day, September 7th, 1958, they ran in Sacramento. Wow. That ain't in Alabama. That's <laughs> California. And uh, Parnelli Jones. Parnelli Jones ends up winning that race in a 56-4. And I actually got to looking at uh, some of the names on that list. Parnelli Jones, Jim Cook, um, Jerry Johnson. That to me, Ron Hornaday, not junior senior ron hornaday ends up finishing 22nd in that race so the fact that you had uh two different races going on the previous weekend in two different parts of the country just goes to 
I guess, speak to another part of just how different Grand National Racing was back then. It wasn't so much a, a tour that everybody followed as much as a series of events put on at tracks across the country for guys to try to make money on and stuff. But not a whole lot of history we could find necessarily on racing reference, but that's Gastonia Fairgrounds. All right, and last for uh, today, we have the Greensboro Fairgrounds located in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, ran three of the Grand National Races, two in 57, one in 58. Uh, these races uh, won by Paul Goldsmith, uh, Buck Baker, and Bob Wilburn. Uh, it was a third mile dirt track. Um, our purse ranged from uh, 37.85 for a low and 44.60 as a high. Our car count's kind of fluctuating as well, 31 for a high and 19 for the low. Uh, this is another track that had the uh, two convertible races, one in 56 and 57. Uh, Bob Wilburn winning one of those, and once again, Curtis Turner, I'm just going to call him king of the convertibles because I'm pretty sure he won every convertible race I saw. Um, races were uh, 250 laps in length. Um, the track started racing in 1951, and they ran NASCAR's uh, sportsman uh, division. And in 1955, uh, they had a sportsman race there. This is an interesting story I found. Uh, so during this race in 1955, the grandstands, they did not say the cause of it, but for whatever reason, the grandstands had caught on fire. <laughs> and you had two, there was about roughly estimated 2,000 fans there. So grandstands catch on fire. Everyone's trying to evacuate the grandstands. There's nowhere to go. It's a fairgrounds. So they stop the race. The fans run across the track into the infield. Grandstands collapse. They get the fire put out. And true redneck racers that they are, the fans went back up, cleared and pushed all the debris back, and Watch stood the there. The and race. the race continued. <laughs> they continued the race, uh, finishing that. Uh, pretty neat uh, about the Greensboro Fairgrounds when it was uh, still racing uh, the NASCAR, the Grand National stuff, uh, that that was, for half of a year, that was a home for the NASCAR headquarters. Really? Yeah, before you know everything moves to Daytona. Um, and then, of course, as you can well guess, that the track was bulldozed in 1958 to make room for the Greensboro Coliseum. Ah, and if it weren't for that, we would not, we probably would not know who Ric Flair is. That's right. <laughs> i tell you something interesting about, okay, so this last race at Greensboro Fairgrounds, it's, it's May 11th, 1958, so it's a Sunday race. The winning car owner, Bob Wellborn, won the race driving for Julian Petty, who is Lee Petty's brother. Whenever you see Lee Petty or Richard Petty pop up on this list, their owner is listed as Petty Enterprises, but Bob Wellborn is just listed as Julian Petty. And it's funny because in all the NASCAR documentaries, all the, the DVDs and VHS movies I watched, when you hear about Petty Enterprises or the Petties in general, you hear about Lee, Richard, Kyle, Adam. And Maurice. And Maurice, who all were at Petty Enterprises. When I found out, when I kept seeing Julian Petty pop up and finding out Lee Petty had a brother that was in NASCAR, I was like, wonder why he wasn't in Lee, you know, in Petty Enterprises. Yeah. You know, that's kind of interesting because, I mean, it seemed like the rest of the family was over there. Dale Inman, who was right. one of the cousins, he was... It seemed like it was a full family affair, but maybe Julian was just a black sheep or something. Maybe maybe he wasn't welcomed in or had different ideas. You know, you never know. Oh, I bet I know what it is. All these ones with Julian Petty, guess what the make is? Mm. Chevrolet. There you go. 
Whereas Lee in in this race in '58 in an Oldsmobile, and then obviously they went to the Plymouths. So he was the only true believer in the household. <laughs> what you're saying? Amen. He must have been the only Christian <laughs> That's right. among them because right. he was driving a Chevrolet. But another fairgrounds, uh, third mile dirt, uh, you know, third mile dirt track. This last one only two liters. So yeah, for you and me, maybe by today's standards, we'd have been like, man, daggum, only two lead changes, but. You know, my man Possum Jones is in this there race. We go. Possum Jones runs 12. His Chevrolet broke the carburetor. That's why he didn't make it. Here's here's an interesting one. This one, I bet, was uh, pretty bad at the time. So, in this last race in 58, George Green, uh, driving a 57 Chevrolet, finished 17th. He only made 85 laps. Listen, the reason he is knocked out of the race, gas line. Boy, I, I I hear I see that, and I'm like, boy, I hope that poor George's gas line didn't come off. Maybe that's was... why our grandstands called on fire. Right there there. <laughs> George sprayed the grandstands <laughs> with gas, and but then Becky fires up a cigarette, and that's all she wrote. Another thing, also to keep in mind, bud, as we continue on in this series, is the cars these guys are racing. We're so used to purpose-built race cars, and you know, what is this thing? It's a, it's a longhorn chassis. It's a rocket chassis, or it's a, you know, in our NASCAR terms, mm-hmm. it had the Chevrolet or Ford stickers on it, but it was a purpose built race car. All these cars from these times, mm-hmm. these are off the showroom, yep. maybe make a few tweaks and paint a number on it and freaking Put go. a roll cage in it and go, go race. And you know, NASCAR, you have what, three manufacturers, four manufacturers, yeah, Toyota, Ford, Chevrolet. and, and you'll have, you would have eight to 10 during certain year time frames, uh, eight to 10 manufacturers represented. I mean, there's, there's times where you had, you know, like your Hudson's, your Nash's, you know, later on you had AMC, you know, had all these just outliers, you know, it wasn't the big three, uh, you know, the Chevy Dodge and Ford there for a while. Um, the parody, we'll, we'll never see anything like that again. And like you said, th- these are the actual cars. You know, what the fans are driving to these races, they get the park, go in and see that same car, go out there and make some laps. And, I mean, way less on the safety side, no contained seats or nothing. So, I mean, these guys getting a wreck, I mean, it really is, you know, life and death situation for these guys. I think the allure of it probably was, like you said, they're driving cars on the track that you drove to get to the track. Mm-hmm. The difference is they ain't stopping at stoplights or stop signs. <laughs> They're holding that thing down. Exactly. I mean, that, you know, that was the allure of and it. And it was true back then, you know, what wins on Sunday sells on Monday. Because, yeah. you know, you can go watch a 57 Chevrolet win on Sunday. And, well, I want a car like that. You know, all your old hot rodders, they wanted to have something that they could compete with or can talk some junk about. And obviously you can't do that today. Last note I'll make on this one. Another thing that pops up a lot on our list, Bob Wellborn won this race by a lap. Not by two car lengths, two seconds, 12 seconds, by a lap. That is another thing that comes up because they didn't have electronic scoring back then. Mm -hmm. You had, everybody had to have a hand score. Mm -hmm. You know, nowadays everybody has to have a spotter and everybody gets electronically scored. Back then, I don't think you really had spotters, but everybody had to get hand scored. And I don't think it was so much of who could run the fastest speed as much as who could make the laps yep. first. Right. I think that was 
kind of more of the thing back in the day. Yeah, and uh, documentaries and stuff you read, you know, these guys, they would build what little they were allowed to do to their cars. It was more so for longevity to make the car last versus, like you said, going out there and being hammered down and running speeds because these cars just weren't built for that, you know, off the showroom floor, unfortunately. They just weren't made to go 200 laps around the third mile dirt track. Thank you for listening to yet another edition of the Half Price Concessions podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, we sincerely appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode or any of the episodes we've put out. Do us a favor and hit the subscribe button if you listen to this podcast on a podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, Himalaya, Castro, Overcast, and Pocket Casts. So whichever app you listen to us on, hit the subscribe button. Leave us a rate and review. It helps us out a ton. It really, really does. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at HPC Podcast. And also find us on Facebook by searching for The Half Price Concessions Podcast. You can also find all of our episodes on our website, www.anchor.fm slash HPC Podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you have a great day.